Hey folks, thanks for joining us for this episode of the Restoration Project's weekly podcast. The Restoration Project is a cooperative Baptist fellowship church located in Salisbury, Maryland. We are taking a break from our latest sermon series. Enjoy this standalone episode. Thanks for listening. Mother's Day, it's a difficult topic to address in a setting like this because our collective experiences are so diverse. Some of you, maybe even the majority of you, have had beautiful examples of committed love and ongoing and generous support from your moms. She has been there at games and plays and recitals. Even if you play Magic the Gathering in a back room on Tuesday afternoons, she is invested and she roots for you. When I wrote that, I felt bad because I don't play Magic the Gathering, but I know that some people do, so I felt like I was throwing them under the bus. So I want to actually throw myself under the bus here. and Let's go back and redo this. Um, even if you had a parsley collection and a placemat collection from restaurants when you were a child, your mom still roots for you. If that doesn't make any sense to you, it shouldn't, um, because when, when we used to go out to eat, there would be this garnish back in the late 80s, early 90s. There's just a piece of parsley, and I would, for some reason, thought, I want to collect this. So I gathered all the parsley from the plates on the table, took it home, along with my placemat that I had colored on, just, you know, artwork and things. So even if you do weird crap like that, you know, your mom has sometimes has, has rooted for you in the past. If something was happening at school, you knew that she would be in attendance. She took off work when you got sick to make sure that you were okay. And now as a working parent myself, I know what this actually means. It means you, you, you blow some of your PTO on your kids and, and you stay home to make sure that they're okay. Maybe she cooked you food and washed your clothes and made sure that you had your lunch packed and ready to go. She worked hard to make sure that your needs were met. She offered kind and meaningful words embedded in conversations that she has long forgotten but still remain with you, and she still to this day calls you a lot and texts you, and you have walked the journey with her as she has uh, explored and began to learn emojis and learn them incorrectly over time, but she still maintains that communication with you, and even now she still likes all of your pictures on Instagram. You should know that these memories, if you have them, they're not universal. In fact, for many others, and for many different reasons, Mother's Day is more difficult to stomach. Maybe your mom wasn't there when you were a kid. Maybe your mom still isn't there when you're an adult. Maybe you feel, looking back, that you had to do it all alone. Maybe the words that you remember, they're not kind, they're not meaningful. Maybe on a day like today, when you scroll through your Facebook feed and you see all of the nice pictures and the tributes, maybe it makes you bitter and angry because you have no point of contact with this sort of expression of love and gratitude whatsoever. Beyond these polarized experiences of the good and the bad, there are other complicating factors that make this day much more ambiguous than Hallmark might lead us to believe. Mother's Day, for example, it might exacerbate the void that is felt by those who are in the process of losing their moms or who have already lost their moms. 
It may also enhance the immense grief of moms who have lost their children. Mother's Day may shine a light on the pain that is felt by young women who are struggling to have or are unable to have children of their own. Or it might highlight the confusion, if that's the right word, I'm not sure, of women who aren't moms and don't know if they wanna be moms and don't know if they're ever gonna have an opportunity to be moms. For all of these reasons, it would probably be easiest for us to give a little tip of the cap to the moms, slap them with a rise up gift card on the way out the door, and then put our heads down and continue on in our series on the book of John. But that's not what we're gonna do here tonight, nor would I expect you to think that that's what we're gonna do here tonight. Just for my own entertainment this past weekend, I went back to, to revisit the last few years of Mother's Day at TRP, specifically what the sermons were about and how we navigated some of this. And I confirmed something that we already know, namely, we are a weird church. It talks about some weird and heady things. For example, in 2016, we talked about the maternal metaphors of God. Most of the time, we're content just to talk about God as Father, but laced throughout the Old Testament, we see these beautiful images of God as a nursing mother, God as the one who, who mothers the children and cares for them. A couple years ago, we discussed the important role of Junia, who in the book of Romans is noted as a super apostle, and Phoebe, who is probably the first commentator on the book of Romans, one of the most theologically dense letters that is included in our Bible. And Phoebe, this first century woman, is the, the expositor of this really heady letter for its first audience. Or Priscilla, who is the corrector of doctrine. All sorts of other overlooked women in the Bible we looked at a couple of years ago. And then last year, we found ourselves right in the middle of a sermon series on the women of the Bible called Half the Church, where we attempted to, to go back and, and celebrate some of these women in the past. I was online today, and I saw a question that was posed about who's the best Bible mom that there is. And we got a lot of pretty stereotypical answers. Why don't we do a little bit of audience participation in here tonight? Like, who are, who are some of the biblical moms that come to mind when you think about momming? Mary, Mary sure. Who? Hannah. Hannah, absolutely. Hannah's name came up more often than, than others on that list. Any others? Sarah, good. What else? Is that our list? Have we exhausted it? Okay, we feel good about that. Hannah, Sarah, Mary, yeah, sure. Um, probably, I was, I was who, did, who is it? Yeah, sure, Eve was a mom, good job. <laughs> um, yeah, so there are these, there are these uh, pictures of, of moms throughout the Bible, and I, it might just be me, but perhaps my favorite mom story in the Bible is I hope it's a familiar one because I talk about it all the time. This will probably be the third time you've heard me reference this story in as many months, but it's the story of the Syrophoenician woman in Mark's gospel. Uh, I'm just reading you a few verses here in the seventh chapter of the book of Mark. It says, Jesus left that place. He had just been on a, a sort of a, a teaching tirade to the religious leaders um, talking about traditions, and now he's leaving that place, and it says that he's going into the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. This is a, this is a big thing in the book of Mark, this idea of... Um, 
the secrecy within which Jesus was doing most of his, his teaching. Okay, just side note there, I can't, couldn't help myself. Uh, verse 25, in fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek. This is an important note. She was born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. And then Jesus replies in this odd way. First, he says, let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, I appreciate this story for a few reasons. I'm just gonna give you three here right off the bat. First, you all know that I'm a sucker for an underdog. And this story certainly highlights an underdog as it plays on the Jew and Gentile divide at the time. The children that Jesus is referring to here are the Jews. His antagonism to the woman at first, it seems to be motivated by the fact that she is Greek. She is an outsider. Or stated another way, Jesus seems to resist her because she's not Jewish and thus not one of the kids eating at the table. She's a dog. Now, uh, scholars want you to know very quickly because this puts Jesus in sort of a negative light. They would say, oh, this is a frequent pejorative insult in Israel's sacred traditions and in the Second Temple Jewish literature. This is something that people would say specifically to refer to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. This is Jesus using some of that language as as difficult as it might be for us, which is actually my second point as to why this story is meaningful. Jesus's character in this story is, is questionable, right? This woman who wants her kid to be healed has this interchange and Jesus says, first, we need to feed the kids at the table. It's not proper to give that to the dogs or some variation thereof. The woman is asking him to heal her daughter, and Jesus launches into this weird esoteric mumbo-jumbo about how it's not right to take the kids' food and to give it to the dogs, whatever that might imply. At this, commentators have noted that Jesus's initial response is, quote, an ironic quip, quote, designed to invite the woman's witty reply. It's difficult to say if this is correct, because all we have to go on is the text. There are no winks and nods included in this passage as though Jesus is saying, it's not right for us to take the kids' food and to toss it to the dogs, wink, wink, nod, nod, give me a smart reply back so that I can heal your kid. We don't see that in the passage. Personally, I'm inclined to say that this might be a way just to remove the difficulties that are created by Mark's depiction, Mark's weird depiction of Jesus, and we'll latch on to it because it seems to protect him a little bit. Whatever we do with this, though, at the very least, we have a description of Jesus that causes us to pause in this story. Leaving that discussion to the side, the third reason why I think this story is pretty cool, and this is important for us today, actually, this is where I would like for us to, to camp out. So if all the, that, that stuff that I just said to you is messing with your brain, let it pass by 
in a nice moment of contemplative meditation. We'll come back to it at some point, but stick with me here. The third reason, uh, which is important for us today, the Syrophoenician woman is not having it. If Jesus is inviting her witty reply, she gives him one. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she says. And again, we have no notation that would tell us how she's saying this, the intonation of her voice. All we have are the words on the page. And please feel free to provide your own intonation if this was you in this moment, how you would be advocating for your children and the tone of your voice in so doing. But her retort is enough to incite a favorable response from Jesus. He says, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Now, when I read this story, I immediately think of the mom on the phone with the insurance company making sure that her kid gets the care that she needs. I think of the mom arguing with the doctor, protesting, nope, something is wrong with my child. The mom at the school office that's demanding to speak with the principal because of what isn't being addressed in the classroom or maybe what is being addressed in the classroom that has no place in an educational setting. The mom who wants to know which kid is bullying her son or her daughter on the playground so that she can go and rip that kid a new one. Even in its lack of detail, the Syrophoenician woman is depicted here as the mom who will not stop advocating, not stop fighting, not stop protecting, supporting, and loving her child. So her example is well suited for Mother's Day. But this is what I'm unsure that I want to do today. I'm unsure that I want us to read the Bible and then say something like, hey moms, this is a great example. Be like her. Do what she does. Go and be blessed. I mean, by all means, if you have kids, please fight for them, advocate for them, support them, be a champion for them. And if someone calls you a dog or its contextual equivalent for doing it, then maybe they are just hoping for a witty reply and you have my permission to give them that witty reply. Sure, the Syrophoenician woman has a lot to teach moms, but honestly, I'm a bit reticent to leave our application here, namely because one, moms, your list of things to do and characters to emulate is already long and I don't wanna add to it. And two, to leave our application at go do this, it wouldn't help us to bridge the gap of the awkwardness and pain that Mother's Day might be causing for some of us. So I want you to keep this story in mind, this odd story in mind, but let me develop something for a moment. Now, I was doing some reading this week, and I stumbled upon a few articles that talked about the origins of Mother's Day. My grandfather is great for this. Whenever we have a picnic that has any sort of holiday that is in celebration, he has memorized the entire history. So if we're in in the pool gazebo for Memorial Day, he'll, he'll stand up very slowly and say, Memorial Day was established in 1927 at the behest of President such and such. I don't know who was president in 1927. Maybe you do. Evan's trying to pull it. If Laura was here, she might be able to help you. But like he has this whole speech uh, memorized. I don't know much about the origins of Mother's Day, but I learned a little bit this past week. And perhaps you've been reading some of these articles yourself and you know the name Anna Jarvis. She's often identified as the mother of Mother's Day. But got it? See what I did there? 
All right, it's clever. I know you guys need to keep up, keep up. In the early 1900s, Jarvis, who interestingly enough was never married and never had any kids, she decided to publicly commemorate the sacrifices of moms. And this is in a time when the sacrifices of men, particularly soldiers, were often highlighted. So the fact that she was wanting to uh, celebrate these women, it was kind of like this covert movement of feminism in the early 1900s, pretty beautiful. But much to Jarvis's chagrin, this holiday or this commemoration, it was eventually commercialized, which led to the holiday that we now know. However, even before this, there's a somewhat related prehistory to our Mother's Day celebration that I think is worthy of some consideration. In a recent article about this topic, uh, the author Chris Beckert writes, early Christians celebrated a festival known as Mothering Sunday, which fell on the fourth Sunday in Lent. This holiday had once been a major celebration in the United Kingdom and parts of Europe. It was originally a time when Christians would return to their mother church, the main church in the vicinity of their home for a special service. Mothering Sunday, it was less about the woman who gave birth to you and more about the call to return to what is known in the Bible as the bride of Christ, the church, a Christian community, a family not marked by blood. Something similar to this happens even in our area, and I don't know the timing of it, but the Methodists call this homecoming, when everyone will go back to the church in which they were raised for a time of reunion and celebration. And while we could easily lose the forest for the trees here by focusing on the specific local church that has mothered us, what is most important in this idea is Beckert's description of the church as a community as a family not marked by blood. More specifically, it's a family that's comprised of moms and dads, sons and daughters, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, nephews, nieces, the list goes on. And family, at its best, is one that fights for each other. Moms, I don't want to add something to your already long list of things that you need to do today. This is why I'm hopeful that churches don't preach on Proverbs 31 and give you this checklist of things that you must do, and as you leave, give you a sewing kit so that you can make things to sell at the public square. I'm hopeful that that's not happening. I don't want to add to this list. I don't want to give you a Rise Up gift card and then preach a message that makes you feel like the takeaway is, enjoy this coffee, don't be a terrible mom, you might screw everything up. Instead, what I want you to hear today is simple but poignant. You are loved. You are supported. And if you need people to have your back, we will. Catch the irony here. Being a mom is hard. I don't know. I mean, it's, it seems like it's hard. I'm, I'm a dad, so I can, I, can, I can give you my personal experience. So I don't know what it's like to be a mom. I know there's some things that, that I have no concept of, but I imagine some of the feelings are shared. Maybe things like, it's really scary to have children in your care. It's really confusing to be responsible for these little humans that, that kind of look like you and think like you and, and act like you. 
You think that you might be screwing your kids up with every wrong move or lackadaisical word or every bad punishment or lack of affirmation with every McDonald's meal that you get for them. I feel guilty enough when I get McDonald's for myself. Sometimes I need that filet of fish to survive, and sometimes I need the two Happy Meals to survive too. But I feel as though diabetes is right around the corner and these kids are going to need to, it, to enroll in some sort of summer camp just so they'll be okay. I feel the guilt mounting when I'm in that line even as I am downing an extra large Coca-Cola classic because it's so good and so needed. You worry about school and if your kids are getting what they need. You worry about their opportunities and growth and safety for those few moments in the day or maybe in the week, you revel in what feels like a moment of pure joy and connection. I'm an introvert. I was at Rise Up the other day and I was having this conversation with the barista. I told Tessa about this. And in my mind, as it's happening, I'm thinking to myself, oh man, this conversation's going really well. Don't screw it up. Walk out on a high note. You're like, all right, see you later. And it's like, whoo, that was a good interaction. You guys know what I'm talking about? I have those moments with my kids too. And it's like when they're like interact, I'm not that scared, but like when I'm interacting, I'm like, oh man, I'm a dad and I'm a good one. You know, I'm, I'm having that moment while this, is, while this is taking place. You revel in those moments of joy and connection with your child, but most of the time you have no idea what's going on. You have no idea how you're supposed to do things or if you should be doing the things you are doing. There's all sorts of this, this uh trepidation that goes on with parenting. So you people, especially the moms in the room, you don't need my advice. I have very, very little to offer, and that would be ridiculous. Instead, I'd rather just let you know that we see you. We're here for you. When we read about the story of the Syrophoenician mom, this is what I'd like to, you to consider, moms in the room. Instead of me telling you, hey, be like her, when we read this story of the Syrophoenician mom, let your church community, let your mothering church be the mom and you be the kid. Don't worry about the fact that there's some demon possession going on with the child at the moment, okay? Just let that slide right on by and get, get the metaphor that I'm painting here for you, okay? You sit there and you let other people take care of you. Let us advocate for you. Let us affirm that you are loved and you are supported. And if you need someone to have your back, we will. Honestly, I would say it's the same for everyone in this room. For the, for the non-moms in the room, maybe you've kind of removed yourself from the conversation. Come back to it for a moment because whatever role you play in this family, you too are loved and supported. And if you need someone to have your back, we will have your back. In my best reading of this passage, the Syrophoenician woman isn't just a good example of a mom. She's a good example period. And when the mothering church, when it employs some of her characteristics, we all benefit. Sadly, though, the church, it has this really bad track record of infighting. We tear our own to shreds. We're known for our negativity, our critiques, our judgment. We're known for the lines that we draw to demarcate who's in and who's out. 
We don't go to bat for people. We usually take a bat to people. How about we, TRP? How about we be different today and every day? How about we become known for our support and our encouragement and our love? So let's start here on what is usually an emotionally fraught and difficult day. That is Mother's Day. For the kids who miss their mom. For the kids who are losing their moms and are scared. For the kids who have had to learn how to mother their mom in her old age. Or the kids who never had a chance to know her at all. For the kids who suffered at the hands of their mom, who heard things they should never have heard spoken over them by the one who is meant to support and love them, who felt pain and now feel nothing but bitterness. And for the kids who still have a supportive, loving mom who calls maybe a bit too much and texts you ridiculous emojis that don't fit the context of what you're talking about. For the women who don't know if having kids is in the cards and don't know how they feel about that. For the women that have lost children. For the women who have estranged children. For all of you, in your beautiful diversity, you are loved, you are supported. And if you need someone to have your back, we will. May TRP function in this way as a true community, as a family not marked by blood. And may we fight well for each other. Thanks again for listening. We invite you to join us in Salisbury for one of our weekly services on Sunday evenings at 5.30 p.m. Whatever your story, there's room for you here. Again, if you'd like more information, please visit our website at restoresby.org. See you next week.